All right, guys, welcome back to Lesson 90. Here we are, Numbers 31. We are still counting. I mean, think about this. Just yesterday, we, we literally were talking about this calendar of, of public sacrifices. And how many bulls, how many rams, how many lambs, and can I throw a goat in there? I mean, we're counting everything that we're talking about. And so today, we're going to transition a little bit. You know, in Numbers 30, we didn't reference a whole lot, just talking about uh, the regulations about vows and, you know, making vows before the Lord and keeping them and then making sure you're communicating that with other people and just kind of what that looks like. And so we're transitioning to Numbers 31, and it's not going to feel like um, we're counting people, but it's going to feel like we're counting people. There's a whole lot of people, there's a whole lot of offerings, there's a whole lot of, uh, you'll just find out. It's, it's awesome. In Numbers 31, verse 1, it says, the Lord spoke to Moses. And, and what we're going to get to is that really this becomes, uh, as Warren Wearsby says, a dress rehearsal, okay, for the battles that Israel's going to fight in the land of Canaan. Like this is the beginning of, uh, this is the end for Moses, okay? This is Moses' last battle and then he's going to experience death. And so it's kind of this whole transition period. Remember, we've gone from Joshua receiving the mantle from, from, from Moses, and now we're going to actually start walking it out. And so the Lord spoke to Moses in verse 1 of Numbers 31, but in verse 2, verse two it says, execute vengeance. You don't, you don't get to hear that often, do you? Normally the mentality is, is that the vengeance, 32 verse 25, uh, yeah, is the vengeance, 35, awesome way to go, Kevin. Uh, vengeance belongs to me. So when you hear God say to somebody, I want you to execute vengeance, normally you're like, hey, God, that's, that's your deal. But vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And in their due time, if you'll go back, Kevin, if you can, to Deuteronomy, in their due time, in time, their foot will slip for the day of disaster is near and their doom is coming quickly. In other words, let God take care of it. It's all fine. But now he's saying, I want you to take my wrath and I want you to execute it. Execute vengeance for the Israelites against who? Against the Midianites. All right, before we... Move on, guys. When we say execute vengeance uh, for, uh, against the Midianites, why the Midianites? Well, they were the ones that, uh, what is it, Cosby, the gal that was... Zimri and Cosby, right? Remember this whole... them to turn to Baal. Yeah, they were the, they're the people group that said, hey, come this way. Now, the term Midianites, it can be a little bit confusing because it's kind of a general term as well. Think about this. You have the Ishmaelites, you have the Moabites, you have uh, the Amalekites, uh, Ephath. And so these groups can fit under the Midianites as well. Sometimes it's just a general term. Oh, yeah, Americans. (laughs) But within Americans, you could have redheads, you could have tattooed people, you could have introverts. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what that works. You know, they're not even going to say anything. That's the best part, right? No, but that, that's not really what it means. It just means if you have the Americans and with, on that, you have the subgroup, you might have, you know, African Americans, you might have Hispanic Americans, you might have Italian Americans. And so Midianites could be a general term or it could be a specific term. But either way, this is the people group that pulled the Israelites away and said, hey, we're going to seduce you, literally seduce you, not only just sexually, but also spiritually. And so now I want you to bring my vengeance against the Israelites, or against the Midianites on behalf of me. And after that, you'll be gathered to your people. Oh, okay, great. (laughs) You're like, okay. And so watch this in verse three, it says, so Moses, he spoke to the people. I want you to equip some of your men for war. They will go against Midian to inflict the Lord's vengeance on them. Now, I, I really don't want to get cheesy, but hang in here for a second. I got my... I got my good old soapbox, right? Compliments of 
my Wisconsin friends. Okay, this just never gets old. Now, watch this. Whenever I think of this soapbox, you know who I think of? The, the greatest coach in, in American history for college football. It's, it's Newt Rockney. All right, boys, we're going to go get there. We're going to go there. get there, get there, go that way. And, you know, it's this whole Newt Rockney in the locker room in South Bend. And, like, I really want to do the whole speech, but I'm not going to. So, anyway, here's the deal, okay? Uh, is, this is what I think of Moses. Moses is saying, guys. I need you to get some men ready. We're actually going to go out and we're going to fight. And the Lord is with us. And you can release the vengeance, his wrath on them. Hooray! Like, this is the best motivational speech. And, and Moses probably had a soapbox. I don't really know if he did. But my point is this. He had to be a, a, a commander. He had to be a general. He had to step up and say, guys, we're going we're to go do this because God is with us. And so, by the way, in verse 4, this is what he says. He says, so... Um, well, let me just say this. Go back to verse 3. I totally missed one whole major point. After you get everybody together, uh, actually, Kevin, go to verse 2. Okay? He says, I want you to... Em- <laughs> I'm going to go back to my soapbox. Just watch. Okay, boys. <laughs> We're going to go out and fight. We're going to go out and kick some butt. We're going to beat the Midianites. Yes! And then afterwards, I'm going to die. I forgot that part. <laughs> <laughs> it says you will be gathered to your people. Moses is going to die. I mean, this is that whole point. He might have stepped down off the soapbox at that point. Yeah, the soapbox, he's done. No more, no more soapbox. And so, wow, I, I'm like, this is, all right. So anyway, it, it's kind of the same mentality of Aaron. Remember, when you go up here, then it says you're going to die, and then all the people are going to be gathered. So I didn't want to make sure I missed that point. <laughs> and so Moses speaks to the people. He says, I want you to equip some of your men. And then, by the way, in verse 4, I'm going to have you find... A thousand men to war from each Israelite tribe. Now, Taylor, I think it's only appropriate. How many men, if there is a thousand men, I think this is only appropriate. This is our our numbers chart. If we have a thousand men uh, times how many tribes, and what does that equal? Taylor, you want to help me fill in the blank? 12,000. Okay, so, all right, so you got a thousand men from each Israelite tribe, and this is how Taylor knows that he's right in verse 5. So a thousand men were recruited from each Israelite tribe. Now, Tom, I'm going to go to you for a second. I, I would think you'd get excited about this verse. It says a thousand men were recruited from each Israelite tribe. What did you used to do before time to revive? I used to be a recruiter for the National Guard. So what was your, uh, like, what were some of your recruiting tactics in order to get somebody a part of the Guard? What, what were some of your lines what are some of your phone calls? I mean, help me out here a little bit. Do you think this was hard to recruit people to say, hey, let's go fight the Midianites? Yes. I mean, I try to use, hey, you want to go to college? Well, we'll help pay, we'll help pay for college. You want, um, you don't want to go to school, but you want practical job experience. Well, guess what? We'll train you so you actually have something to put on a resume. What if you use the line, hey, if you sign up, you can go to a battle right away? Uh, most kids didn't like that one. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't? They were joining the army. <laughs> I think I only had one guy ever who was like, I want to go to battle right away. All right, well, this was Moses. This was his recruiting line. And so a 1,000 people, 12 tribes, all stepped up. 12,000 were equipped for war. What I don't understand, and this is just a tactical question, is, is like when it says they were equipped for war, does that mean then they actually went through some serious training? 
And please don't hear me like, I mean, were they given like spears? Were they given stones? Were they like, did they practice at night throwing the wilderness at the tumbling weeds that went by? You know, like, I don't know how, how are they getting equipped? But either way, I just don't miss that. These men, 12,000 of them were equipped. And then how did they hear, how did they hear them teaching them? Do you know what I mean? Like you have 12,000 men in the middle of, you know, out here and you're just like, okay, how does this work? So these little things blow my mind. Like you can't just overlook this. This shouldn't happen in like an hour. <laughs> so anyway, it says that these men were recruited. Then in verse six, watch this. It says, Moses sent a thousand from each tribe to war. They went with Phineas, son of Eleazar, the priest, and whose care were the holy objects and signal trumpets. Now, normally in this context, what you're going to see over in the Old Testament uh, mentality, you're always going to hear of a warrior's name pop up, like the guy that helps lead the charge. You know who's, who's leading the charge of this one? According to this verse, Kevin, who does it say it is? Uh, the priests. The priest, Phineas, the son of Eleazar. He's carrying the holy objects, the signal trumpets. trumpets. Why, why, do you think Phineas, why do you think Phineas is on the front end? I know you know this one, Kevin. Well, he's the one that stood up and did something about it back in a couple chapters back. Yeah. Remember, he's the guy who went and stabbed Zimri and Cosby? Yeah, he's the guy who said, enough's enough. And so if he's like, ooh, I can get more of these guys? <laughs> I can go for more of the Midianites? I'm going to lead the way, and I know that the Lord God is with us. I'm carrying the holy objects, the signal trumpets. And, and oh, by the way, God says, I'm going to give you my vengeance to release on these people. So it's kind of a crazy, crazy picture about what is actually taking place. In verse 7, now watch this. It says that they actually waged war. They waged war against Midian as the Lord had commanded Moses and killed every male. Wow, there's no holding back here. And then it says in verse 8, and, you know, and that, that whole thing, you guys, of the killing every male in the Midianites' camp, that's a lot of bloodshed. Like what they saw, what they experienced, uh, you know, Tom serves in the military, but just to ask, I know the answer, but have you ever served actually in a battle, Tom? No. Like, any of you guys, any of you guys, you know, no, I mean, I don't, I can't even fathom what, you know, one person dying, let alone thousands and thousands and 12,000 people going to battle. Like it had to be a, just a pure bloodshed, but we don't ever hear that stuff in scripture. We don't ever see those kind of things in scripture, but the Lord's vengeance was with the 12,000 men, plus Phineas and his, and his priesthood crew. <laughs> I don't know what else you call them. In verse 8, it just says this. Now, along with the others slain by them, they didn't just kill, look at this, they didn't just kill the, the, the Midianite men. It says they also killed the Midianite kings. These five kings, Eva, Evi, Recham, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. And they also, now this is a bizarre one, they also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. Who, who's Balaam? He was riding the donkey. Balaam was riding the donkey. I thought he did a good thing. Yeah, maybe he's still going back to his old way of doing things. I don't know. But I do know that Balaam, the man who was infamous, who beat his donkey three times, he hears from the angel of the Lord. Then he goes to Balak. And then what does he do? Instead of cursing the Israelites, yes, he didn't curse the people that killed him. He blessed them three times. So somewhere in this window, from the, the blessings to now, maybe they didn't know about it, or maybe he went back to his old ways. Could it also be like a foreshadowing of like the Jesus blessed us, but we still killed him anyway? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, absolutely. And I think it's an incredible picture of a lot of times, how many times do we <laughs> go the other way? 
oh, we've tasted him. And in fact, in Numbers 32, tomorrow in our lesson, you're going to hear about this language of people given the opportunity, but then they just kind of keep going back. So in this process, five kings, thousands of, of, of men, uh, and then Balaam as well also kill, uh, was killed. So now let's keep going here in verse 9. So then here's what happened. This is a normal uh, fight, a normal battle. After you kill everybody, the Israelites took the Midianite women, okay? So they killed the men. Now they've grabbed the women. They grabbed the children captive, and they plundered all of their cattle, the flocks, and their property. Now, just the logistic side of this battle. Like, I feel like uh, in this, you know, I just want to slow down and say, okay, man, how do you organize all that? Like, just this fact of gathering the women, all of their kids, like, oh, man, you got, like, 500 snotty-nosed Midianite kids. Who's going to babysit them? You know, like, this is the mentality. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then they plundered all their cattle, the flocks, and their property. And then in verse 10, just to make sure everything was good, they burned all the cities where the Midianites lived, as well as all of their encampments. In other words, nothing remains. Nothing. Except now you have women, children, and animals. And it says, they took away, okay, this is kind of interesting, they took away all the spoils of war and captives, both man and beast. Full-on battle. You know, you have to just pull back for a second. How, how do you take this Old Testament text, and then how, how does this become real for us? Well, I think there's a couple illustrations. One is, is the Israelites were fighting their enemies. Today, we don't fight, uh, fight flesh and blood. Like we don't. We're not fighting the person that we're seeing. We're fighting the world, the flesh, or the things that Satan is throwing at us. And so the reality is, is that in Ephesians 6.10, Kevin, if you can, just a, a simple illustration. No, we might not be having spears. No, we might be, not be the 12,000 men. But I'm telling you, when you wake every day, when you wake up, you have to realize that you are in a battle. In fact, in Ephesians 6.10, it says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. It continues on. In verse 11, this is the mentality that all of us, as soldiers for the Lord, that's not meant to be hokey or funny, really, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. And I'm going to go to Taylor's example, so that we don't become the Balaam's. So that we don't release things and connect with the Lord. And then the next second, maybe we're not with them anymore. Like that's the mentality. We need to be on guard every single day. And when I wake up, I actually thought about this this morning. Maybe it's just because we're, you know, talking about this text. But I want to wake up and I want Satan to be like, dang it, he's up today. I want to be a full on threat against the enemy. I don't want to be the one guy that guy's like, oh, hey, he's awake today. Now, like we're in a battle and the American church, if we're not careful, we don't even realize that we're in a battle. We don't even realize that we're in a spiritual war going on. If you believe in angels, you got to believe in demons. And I'm telling you, the, de- the demonic activity is trying to come at you and do everything they can to get you to, to get knocked down. So you put on the battle, and then it says in verse 12, for our battle is, you put on the armor of God, for our battle is not against flesh and bed, blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. In verse 13, and then it begins to unfold. This is why you must take up the full armor of God. So the reason I wanted to say, hey, these guys were equipped for war. Remember, we talked about these 12,000 men, how they were equipped for war. I, I don't know how they were equipped for war, but I do know this. This is how we get equipped. We have to get equipped. You can't just say, all right, guys, Kevin and Taylor and, and Drew and Tom. All right, we're going to go into war today. And then if I never said, here's your battle equipment, here's, here's how you're supposed to put it on, we get our butts kicked. We would get rocked. 
You must, Scripture says, it's not an option. It doesn't say, hey, if you, if you feel like it. You must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. What an awesome picture. But I'm telling you that the challenge for the American church is to put on the armor of God because you actually realize you're in a battle. If you don't have any, you know, nicks and dings in you, like I would just question, are you really, are you really in the battle? You know, when we were in Flint, Michigan, I don't know, Drew, Drew would have been the only one out of this team there. It was the first time I've ever experienced, experienced spiritual warfare. I was standing up at the stage at the UAW. This was our neutral site for where the churches were going to come together in a union hall. And as I was standing up and speaking, I just remember like, this isn't right. This doesn't feel good. Like I, I can't, I can't breathe well. Something's going on with my heart. And you'd be like, well, do you have a heart attack? No, I had nothing to do with that man. So then I sat down. Do you remember this, Drew? Were you there in the, in the room? I don't know if I was in the room. So I sat down and I was like, hang on, guys. In the middle of my message, it'd just be like me just sitting down. And then I got back up and I was like, okay, let's try it again. And as I was preaching, same thing happened again. I just felt this pressure, this weight. And I was like, I don't think this is good. And, and I just sat down. And then the next thing you know, my sister, Janae, who works with us here at Town Revive, she was out in the audience at the time and she just literally fell down. And so it was the first time that both of us felt like we were being attacked. I remember they took me upstairs. I laid down and I, my, I just, I didn't move. I was like, this is a weird, weird feeling. And it was the first time people introduced to me. And I'll be honest, I didn't know that we were in a, a spiritual battle. It was kind of one of those like, and now that I think back on it and pray through things, the fiery darts that are coming at us. That's why you have to put up the shield of faith. And that's why I'm not going to, for the sake of time, not going to get into all of the equipment that you have to put on, but you have to know you have it in order to take your stand, in order to be prepared. And that's, that's really what's happening with these men. You're equipped. So now once you're equipped, here's what you're going to do to go through it in order to win the battle. So now in verse 12 of Numbers 31, it says, They brought the prisoners, animals, and spoils of war to Moses, Eleazar the priest, and Israelite community at the camp on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. Now, I like this verse. You know when you have a, a, a little kid, you know, like Jude, he comes up to me, he's like, Dad, you know, I scored how many points? X, whatever points, six points, eight points. He'll, he'll make sure he'll tell me, okay? And he want, he's so excited to come and show me, come and tell me what I did. What he did. I mean, it's kind of what you have here. All, can you imagine all of the, all of the, the men bringing all of the prisoners, all of the animals and all of the spoils? Hey, look at everything. I mean, I think this would take forever. And then in verse 13, Moses, Eleazar, the priest and all the leaders, they went outside to meet him outside the camp. Verse 14. But Moses became furious with the officers. Oh, this is, hey, hey, Moses, this is not what we were expecting. <laughs> He became furious with the officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds who were returning from the military campaign. And this is what he says in verse 15. Have you let every female live? He asked them. What, what do you mean you got all these women here? In verse 16, these are the ones that are the issues. Yet they are the ones who at Balaam's advice incited the Israelites to unfaithfulness against the Lord in the pure incident. And because of these women that you've let live, so that now the plague came against the Lord's community. We're here to kill the Midianites and you're bringing the problem to me. Man, it goes back to what we were talking about, you guys. This unfaithfulness of that one little ounce of this lust of the eyes leads to massive issues. It leads to a plague and now it's leading to, to war. And now that we've gathered the problem, people, not just the Israelites, but the Midianite women, they bring him before Moses and he's irate. And he says, these are the issues. So he says in verse 17, 
So now kill all the male children and kill every woman who's had sexual relations with a man. And it says, but keep alive for yourselves all the young females who have not had sexual relations. Man, he, he's not messing around. Like he sent them to kill them and now he's bringing back the problem. They're bringing back the problem. So just as a recap, Kevin, if you can go back to verse 17, I want you to kill all the male children. Why? Why would they, you guys are, why would he kill all the male children? What would be the value in that? So you end the Midianite line. Yep. Like, let's cut it off. And oh, by the way, all of the women, now I'm, I would say, I don't know how this is unfolds, but as you go to every woman, I don't know how they're going to know if they had sexual relations with the man. I mean, there had, and not to be graphic, but there had to be some kind of examination, some kind of questioning, some kind of process. Because I can't imagine people are going to be like, oh yeah, that was me. You know, so like this even had to take time. And then he says, but I want you to spare for yourselves, okay, the virgins, those who have not had sexual relations. These women have not been the issue except for the fact that they're the Mennonites. All right, so in verse 19, now here's the deal. You are to remain outside the camp for seven days. Why? Right away when you read that, what do you think? Unclean. Unclean. Yeah, if Rich was here, he'd be yelling, unclean. All of you and your prisoners who have killed a person or touched the dead are to purify yourselves on the third day and the seventh day. You were just in battle. Let's be real here. We have a whole lot of vows, a whole lot of rituals, a whole lot of offerings and sacrifices that we have put in place that you have maybe even put in place. I need to make sure you're clean. Okay, that sounds obvious. He says, I want you to stay outside. And now in verse 20, it gets really detailed. He says, also purify everything. So not just like stay outside, but your garments, your, your leather sandals, <laughs> the leather goods, things made of goat hair <laughs> and every, art, every article of wood. Basically, you, hear what I, you know what I hear? I hear everything you need to purify. Then verse 21, then Eleazar the priest said to the soldiers who had gone to the battle, this is a legal statute that the Lord commanded Moses. In other words, this is not an option, you guys. You have to do this. And in verse 22, watch this. Only the gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin, and lead, everything that can withstand fire. This is going to be the only time at this point, okay, as, as one commentator said, the only time that, you're, that the fire is being required for the purification process. Normally, when you think of purification process, you just think of water. He's implementing, you have to put fire, everything that can withstand fire, you're to pass through the fire and it will be clean. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin, lend, all of these things, put it through the fire. It needs to be clean. It must be purified with the purification water. Anything that cannot withstand fire, you pass through the water. I think to me, as I was praying through this text, uh, just in, in studying in the word, you know, there's a lot of images here. Yes, you have the battle, but the fire image to me, like going through, getting purified, like it's pretty powerful. Kevin, if you would, would you go to Malachi 2 verse 17? And we're going to go through a, a little bit here. Malachi 2 verse 17. And, and it just, it, it talks about uh, um, the refiner's fire. You've wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you ask, have we wearied him? When you say everyone who does evil is good in the Lord's sight and he's pleased with them, or where is the God of justice? In verse 18, scripture continues on. Uh, go to verse 1 then, I'm sorry, 3, 1. Go to 3, verse uh, 1, because we're going to go to uh, 6 verses here. See, here's what he says then. I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. 
Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant you desire. See, he is coming, says the Lord of the hosts. But watch this. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who will be able to stand when he appears? And so this image of of Numbers 31, take the gold, the silver, the, the, the bronze, the tin, all this, the lead. I want you to put it through it because that's the only thing that can withstand the fire. In Malachi, uh, you know, the Italian prophet Malachi, he just says, look, who can endure the day of his coming? Who's going to be able to stand up? The only thing I can tell you is he will be like a refiner's fire and like cleansing lie. Keep going in verse three. He'll be like a refiner and purifier of silver. He'll purify the sons of Levi. I love this image. And refine them like gold and silver. He knows that they can withstand this. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Verse four. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in days of old and years gone by. Verse five. I'll come to you in judgment. And I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers. This is important, you guys. Against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the widow and the fathers and cheat the wage earner. And against those who deny justice to the foreigner. They do not fear me, says the Lord of God, uh, Lord of hosts, because I, Yahweh, uh, have not, have not changed. You descendants of Jacob's have not been destroyed. Now watch. They haven't been destroyed because they're able to stand the refiner's fire. But if you go back, Kevin, to verse four, uh, in verse five, sorry. Uh, all of these components. Look at these things, though, that won't withstand it. And I like this image of when you bring these things from the enemy, let's put it through the fire and let's see which will stand the fire of God. It's a refiner's fire. I want everything that when you come before me, I don't want any of the evilness around me. And let's make sure we clean up the junk, which is why there's an, a crazy transition for me. You know, if you would go to Matthew 3, verse 11. It, it, Jesus is talking about the same mentality. You know, the same mentality... It, or John the Baptist says this about Jesus. And he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But the one who's coming after me is more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. Look what he's going to do. He himself, the Messiah, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You will be blessed with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, but also the fire of God. And then in verse 12, it just says this, his winnowing shovel in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff... He will burn up with fire that never goes out. Now, here's the awesome picture for me. And I wish people would embrace this more and more in their lives. When you experience the Holy Spirit in your life, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be able to express the manifestations of, uh, of the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, you're going to be able to express the gifts of the Holy Spirit working through you, the gifts of service. You might have the gift of prophecy. You might have the gift of teaching, the gift of administration, the gift of hospitality. All of these things you might be able to experience through the Holy Spirit. Now watch this though. It doesn't happen unless the fire of God is burning within you and burning off the chaff, burning the sin, burning these things that are not of the Lord. So if the baptism of the fire is not taking place, it's not constantly burning. Guess what? You don't manifest uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit in a way that brings glory and honor to him. And that's what I love about it is they've gone out into the battle. They're bringing all the plunder, but you got to take the plunder and put it through the fire so that God can use this. It's the same thing with our mentality. It's the same thing with us. As you go out into the battle, you got to understand you have the spirit of God and the fire of God. And that fire of God is going to burn away any of that junk that's in you that shouldn't be there. Pride, lust, false worship of things, greed, envy, uh, Anything that's not of the Lord, let that fire of God, that baptism of fire, just start burning it away. Because if it is of the Lord, the things that need to stay will stay and the things that need to go will be removed. 
Oh man, that's awesome. And then in verse 24, it just says on the seventh day, I'm back in Numbers 31. On the seventh day, watch this. You wash your clothes and you will be clean. After that, you may enter the camp. When there's purification with water and there's purification with fire, God said, you're, you're clean. Now, there's more to this story. There's more to this battle about how they divide up all the plunder and then who do they give it to? Do they give it to the soldiers? Do they give it to the people? Do they give it to the Levites? The point that we're after today is that we're all in a, in a battle, but in the process of being the battle, we've we got to be equipped and the way that we're equipped is put the armor of God on. And the way that we're equipped with the armor of God is that what's going to fuel us is the Spirit of God and the fire of God that's inside every one of us. Numbers 31, Lesson 90. Lord bless you all, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks.